even though it's not officially the summer yet, we're starting a summer series. We figured it would be just start in June and, 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 and start at the beginning of June to do this. And our summer series is going to focus on who am I? And, you know, that's one of those age-old questions that philosophers have been going back uh, centuries and millennium to, to answer various ways, who am I? But the question for us is, is, in Christ, who am I? What is our Christian identification? How do, how do we stand as Christians? What is, what is it that is our, you know, well, what our identity is? And there's several topics that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at the fact that we are a chosen people, that we are a justified people. We are you know, called saints. That's a hard one for a lot of us to think in terms of, of saints. We might say, oh, brother or oh, sister, so-and-so, but we don't come up and say, oh, oh St. George. You know? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, but, but possibly because there's over the years uh, so much focus in, in some uh, church groups that the saints are unique and special people that are set aside in a special way. We are all saints. There's no, such, such, uh, there's no hierarchy in saints. Anyone who confesses Christ is a saint. Well, I'm, that's somebody else's sermon. I'm, I, I shouldn't be going there. Uh, we're, we're kings. We're called priests. We're adopted. We're looked at as righteous. We're called the bride of Christ. We're called the body of Christ. There's so many different things that, that we are. And so we're going to take a look at this summer, uh, this summer at these different things. And I start today as the fact that we are a chosen people. Now, as soon as I say the word chosen and refer it to scriptures, we're going to immediately start, you know, and have you ever heard that, you know, in, in conversations there's what they call trigger words? And, and, and as soon as you say that word, people are off in their own direction as to what it means to them. I, I, and chosen in, in Scripture is one of those words. Uh, and how this happens is debated. So, how I am going to approach this today is that I'm going to share my understanding of what God's Word says happened to me. And I'm going to just bring it at that point. I may not touch on everything that you think I should touch on in this subject. We've only got the sermon time to do this. Uh, and there's volumes and volumes written on this. So, uh, if, And I may touch on a, a, an area where you might turn and say, well, I've, I haven't heard it that way before, or I've, I, I, I think differently than that. We're not here, I'm not here to... to indoctrinate you in any particular way. I'm just going to go through these scriptures and share with you as I see how they come together in my lifetime. And in the process of doing that, I think you'll find that on almost everything, the majority for sure, we're in agreement. And uh, so uh, as we look at this, uh, like I said, I'm going to share it from my understanding of what God has done in my life. Uh, I want to start with this, though, that the Bible has declared that God has made Himself known. And He's made Himself known to all people. If you go to Romans chapter 1 and 2, it says that both nature and conscience reveal the fact that there's God. And if you choose not to see it, it's because you choose not to see it. 
the Gospels, if you get past that point into the, into the Gospels, they certainly reveal that there is a God. So you now you're at the point where you have to decide, am I going to uh, look at the Gospels as truth or am I going to look at them as, as uh, good stories to, about a great guy and his teachings, but not necessarily all true, maybe in, laced with uh, uh, different kinds of stories that would be like the stories of, of Davy Crockett or others, you know, uh, that become more legend than, than literal. We have a scriptures, several scriptures that we go to that tell us the Word of God is inspired through the Holy Spirit and that it is His Word. So if we start there, we're going to look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and say, yeah, they, they are the literal Word of God. And, and so, you know, this is where I'll be coming from. Uh, It is, what I guess what I'm wanting to start with is, is that we have been exposed to God in some format and we are without excuse as to how we respond back to Him. The, uh, the reality that we have to start with here is that all humans, all men, all women are born with a corrupt nature. I have people that will even argue that with me, but the Scripture says very clearly, we are born with a corrupt nature. Why? Because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. We have inherited the fall, if you will, and the consequences of their sin. And it's upon us from the moment we're born. It's an interesting thing. You do not have to teach a child to be self-centered. It's hard to teach a, 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 a child, a person, anybody to be selfless. Okay, so we're born with the nature of me first. And it's, and as a result, we could say a corrupted nature, sin is a natural thing to us. To fall short, sin, to fall short of God's perfection is a natural thing for us. Why? Because we want things our way. The moral pollution, as one commentator put it, the moral pollution sin begins, uh, brings uh, uh, a, 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 a corruption to the whole person. It's affected the whole person. Our heart, our soul, our spirit, our mind, all have been affected by, and according to the Word of God, enslaved to sin. We get the idea that we're our own master. I went through a number of philosophy courses in college, and uh, one of the things that was the underlying principle was you are your own master. You choose your destiny. Okay? Um, the Scripture says because our heart, soul, spirit, and mind are enslaved to sin, we have already chosen, our destiny is already chosen for us. 
we are by nature sinners. Penalty, well, in Romans 3.10 it says, It is written, none are righteous, no, not one. And again in the third chapter it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it says, The wages of sin is death. That is what our life deserves. We are born in sin. We are corrupt all the way through. When we think, we think with the bias of sin, not the bias of righteousness. Now, some people will argue immediately and and say, well, I've been to church and I've met people who aren't nearly as great and kind and gentle as so-and-so, who's never been to church and never confessed Christ. I am not going to argue that point. There is a range of good to, to evil according to the way the world looks at it, the way the human mind looks at it. And we normally think of a good person as one who's not so bad. Isn't that really true when we think about it? A good person is just one who's not so bad. We have been around that person possibly when, when, when they you know, exploded and, and blew up or, or, or when they shared something that wasn't kind or gentle. And you think, man, that's out of character for him. But the reality is, is that the best man has to offer in good falls short of the glory of God. It falls short of His holiness. We are told that in order to approach His throne and to be a part of His kingdom, we have to be holy as He is holy, and we can't get there because we have sinned. We're enslaved to sin. Sin is my master. I live in darkness. John 3, 19-20 talks about the fact that we choose darkness over His light. This is what fallen man, which all of us are, will choose. Darkness over light. Every time. But then, in the Gospel of John, we also have John 3.16. And we're saying, okay, how do we incorporate this? Because... uh, Look again at, 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 at verse uh, 19 of, of John 3. It says, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And now, who Paul says everyone has fallen short of the glory of God All of us have sinned and and deserve the death penalty. Therefore, that is the group we fall in by nature. Yet it says very clearly, and it's a scripture that's so used, and and every time I use it, I think of of Billy Graham. Uh, And and I was giving Ted a a bad time. He's he's just got a, what kind of radio system is it? Yeah, they, it was given to him for getting his car service for a free trial. He, he's already, I think, hooked on it because it's got a Billy Graham channel. And so Ted, Ted gave me a, a, a rides yesterday, and, and, as, and as a result, I got saved twice uh, uh, in the Billy Graham cha- cha- channel. But, uh, you know, it's one of his favorite verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that who should ever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Now, I know I didn't say it in the King James like he did, but it's, it's the, the verse is powerful. God so loved the world. We just sang about that, really, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. As a person born in the world, a man of the world, if you will, my statement would have been, I am free to follow my heart's desire. And I will tell you that there's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. That's what I believed was true. My heart's desire had to do with wanting to have a family. That's a good thing. Wanting a good job. That's not a bad thing. But all with the intent to bless me. To make my life happy. To have joy in my life. And those are not... You look at those things and you say those are good things. I, I, you know... Uh, and they, and they, they, they were. But also in the midst of those things, uh, I wanted a wife who would tolerate all of my sin. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and, and things that, that maybe didn't bring her joy, but brought me joy. So in the midst of wanting a very good thing, I was a very selfish person. And so I look at these contrasts. Now, wanting to follow my heart's desire, not seeing at that point in time in my life, the problem was is that I was a natural man. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known how to, to, to think it in those terms. And coming to the conclusion suddenly that I am helplessly, hopelessly lost. And that I am enslaved to sin. Sin is my master. I live in darkness. And this is what I have chosen. And I'm thinking, but John 3.16. You see, I didn't care about Scripture as a source of information for life. I did believe Scripture was a source of information with some historical emphasis and reference, especially the Old Testament, more than the New Testament. Uh, and, and in fact, I took courses in college about uh, Scripture as literature and Scripture as historical references. Uh, but I never took a course in, in, in secular college as Scripture as truth. It wasn't offered. And so I look at John 3.16, and the reason why I looked at John 3.16 was, and I know that I've shared this a few times over the years, but in uh, May of 1975, a snowstorm in Paradise, California. Now, if anybody knows anything about Paradise, you don't have snow in May. Except rarely. It does happen. But it's just rare. And, we, and it's one of those things that it comes overnight, it covered the ground, and you knew that it would be burned off by, no, by noon. There was three of us who had our businesses in the same building, and we looked at the walkways and knew that if we put the open sign out, we were going to have to clear the walks. 
And we're thinking nobody's going to come out in this anyway. We normally would have had contractors waiting at the door to come and uh, in for supplies, and there was nobody there. So we did the practical thing. We didn't put the open sign open. We just left it closed. And we walked two blocks up the street on Skyway, Main Street of Paradise, and went to the brunch house for breakfast. The interesting thing was, was that you could, couldn't find an empty table at the brunch house because that's where all the contractors go, you know. And we have our cup, we had our own cups hanging on the the, the wall. And, you know, your name is on your cup and it's on the wall. And you go over, you grab your own cup and and you go sit down and they bring the coffee. And but there was a table with four chairs, but only one person, and there was three of us. So we thought. We know we've seen him before. Neither, none of us knew him by name. But we would go sit with him. And we started talking and he started talking and started sharing. My three friends got, uh, my two friends uh, were with me there. Uh, ate quickly and left quickly. I, to this day, do not know this man's name. But he was sharing with me some personal experiences that he was going through and how, and I was curious, how are you getting through them? I asked. And he shared in his faith in Christ. And he had me convinced at, that, at the end of the two and a half hour sitting that I needed to read the Gospels with the understanding that they believed what they were writing. Not that I had to believe it, but that they believed. I thought that was an adequate challenge. So I went and bought a New Testament and sat in my shop, my spray booth, because that's where I had the best light, in a rocking chair that I was supposed to be finishing, and uh, read Gospel of John. That was pretty intense. He was very passionate. So I read the Gospel of Luke. I read the Gospel of Mark. I read the Gospel of Matthew. Typically backwards for me. But it wasn't backwards for what God intended to do. Now I would like to take credit and say, I saw the light. But I have to tell you that it was like the light overwhelmed me. Still lots of questions. Myriads of questions. But it started to be on a year and a half long quest of who is this Christ? And of all things, why did they all buy into a bodily, physical resurrection? I didn't need... Anybody to tell me what the Scripture said about the resurrection? It was as clear as could be the first time I read it. It was bodily and it was physical. Since that time, I've had pastors try to tell me, no, it was, it was the resurrections of His teachings and different types of things. It was the body, the physical body of Jesus Christ resurrected. It's what it says. Now, you do, I'm not saying that... that, that 
you know, if, you know if people have to believe that, meaning that if you don't believe it, you're, you might as well deny everything because that's part of what God says he has he put together for us to understand him and what he's done. So here I am buying books, exchanging my labor and, and, and it to two different bookstores over, over the next year and a half, Christian bookstores for books. I'd, they'd pay for the materials for the things that they wanted in their in their store, and I and I would get credit for, uh, on my labor for books, and I just started reading. But I saw things like I had never seen them before. I have to tell you, I had heard scripture before. I had heard sermons before. I had read scripture before. I'd read scripture in college. It was mandatory. But I never ever saw what I was seeing now. Even the scriptures that I had read in college had a whole different meaning to them for me. This whole thing about sin was a hard one to accept. Now, I had done my share of Think of the cartoon character Daffy Duck. Despicable, despicable things in my life, especially in my youth. But uh, at the point in time that this was coming together, I didn't see myself as a bad person. I saw myself as a good person. I was providing for my family. We had a house. We had a home. There was food on the table. I was doing all the things that were were good. And so I'm trying to see how these Gospels relate back to me, and then the book of Acts, and, and that I'm a sinner, and that I need saving. And, and it was just, again, another part of it that was overwhelming. But as I started to read, I don't know why this time it started coming together. I'm, I'm, I'm putting that all to, together to set the stage for where I want to go with this idea of chosen. The first scripture I want to use is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who calls you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I'm looking at this saying, how do you get from one to the other? How is it that you can be a person that hasn't had mercy and now you are a person who's received mercy? Is it a, is it a long process? Because quite candidly, I was thinking in terms of everything is, that's good is a long process. You know, you have to earn. You have to, 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 to get it on your own merit. And so I'm trying to see how can I, and, I, and I'm literally looking at this, how can I be good enough? I mean, happy Bob Good should be able to do this. 
And that was a nickname that was given to me in, in, in school. Happy Bob Good. You know, I should be able to do this. I've had college. <laughs> should be able to do this. As I started to read, as I started to study, and thanks to the people who owned the bookstores directing me to various books that they felt would help me as they were listening to my questions, the place that we start was the idea that Peter talked about it being a chosen race. Chosen race that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness. You are a chosen race. How is that possible? How how, how are we a chosen people? Because it automatically means, when it says you are a chosen race, that somebody did the choosing. In our scriptures this morning from Ephesians, we read from the first chapter through the 14th verse. I want to go back to those verses this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual Blessing in the heavenly places. And right there you stop and say, how many spiritual blessings have I been blessed with? I've been blessed with as many as there are to have. If I take advantage of them, that's another story. But but I've been blessed with as many as there are to have. They're available to me. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. The very first spiritual blessing that Paul lists is that we have been chosen before the foundation of the world. And who was the chooser? It says, He chose us. Who is He speaking about? Jesus The Father. God. And when did they do the choosing? Long before I was ever here. Long before any of us were here. In fact, He did the choosing before Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. Before that ever happened, He was and had chosen who would be in the kingdom of God. I'm looking at that and I'm saying, whoa, I'm a part of that. If I'm chosen, I'm a part of that. If I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, then He's put it somehow together. I'm a part of this. Paul's writing to believers. So he's speaking to them saying, this is who you are. You are a chosen person because God chose you before the foundation of the world. 
He predestined us for adoption. More of the spiritual blessing. That we would be holy and blameless. Spiritual blessing. To the praise of His glorious grace, He has blessed us in the Beloved. Again, that idea of the blessing. We have redemption through His blood according to the riches of His grace that He lavished upon us. You know, the word lavished there is provided more than is needed. To have enough is one thing, but to have it lavished on to you is another. You've been flooded with it. According to His riches and grace, He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose. And you'll see over and over in these verses, according to His purpose, according to His will, a plan to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So as a result, we have an inheritance because we are chosen. We have an inheritance predestined according to the purpose of Him whose works all things according to the counsel of His will. I guess you have to put it down to this is that who's in charge here? Who has put it in effect? Who took the first step? Who opened the door? Who opened my eyes? When I said all of a sudden it was like light was flooding in, was it because I, I, I found the right combination? Or was it because the Holy Spirit was now opening my eyes for the first time and I was seeing what God had intended me to see before the foundation of the world? He chose us, all of us, before in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So, I've got to know. And I'm going to really personalize it here. Okay, God, why did you choose me? What, what did, and you can see where it's going, what did I do to be chosen? What part of my character is right that you chose me? What part of my life is right that you chose me? Maybe you chose me because I do have a heritage of Christians in my family. I had a grandmother who would sit and and read the Bible to me when I had nightmares until I fell back to sleep. Maybe, you know, maybe, you know, is it because I, you know, of, of the people and their influence on me? Why have you chosen me? Doesn't answer the question. Do you realize Scripture does not directly answer that question? There's only one answer. And, and it's, it's found in the Old Testament, actually. Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, of God, Lord God. There are certain things that we, we just simply are not going to be able to put our finger on, no matter how hard we try. We have to accept the fact that He has initiated the call and that He has chosen us. With an intense purpose. This wasn't something haphazard. This wasn't plan B, by the way. Like plan A was Adam and Eve and everything was going to be hunky-dory on the way to glory. It wasn't that. It was, there is no plan B. When plan, when, when plan A ran into that, that, that's because before the foundation of the world, God already knew that. And that's why He knew we were going to need, before the foundation of the world, the blood of Jesus Christ. And He chose us with an intense purpose. In Ephesians chapter 2, says, verse 1, You were dead in your trespasses and sins 
in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who I I was. And there isn't a person in this room who wasn't in that place. Not one. But, now I have the habit of putting arrow brackets around the words that say in contrast to. (laughs) But, with arrow contrast lines here, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, and that goes back before the foundation of the world. Again, part of the plan. Which God prepared, well, before, beforehand that we should walk in them. I do have one answer for why God chose us. I'm not going to go through Romans chapter 9 this morning, but you can go through it yourself. But there's a, a point where he says, God made these choices in reference to uh, Isaac and, 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 and Esau and, and, and Jacob and, and different things that go through that line. He made the choices because it pleases him. It pleases him. It pleases him to call people into a relationship with him. God chose us because it pleased him to do so. If you are a Christian, your ID begins with you are a chosen before the beginning to be a chosen race. And I look at this phrase, chosen race, and, and, and that's an amazing phrase by itself because of the word race that's there. We, we, we are constantly hearing of race and racism in the news. But here he's speaking about a new people that are made up of all ethnic groups, male and female. We are going to be, we are already, if we are chosen and in Him, we are a new race. We're not black. We're not yellow. We're not brown. We're not white. We are Christ. We are Christian. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are a chosen race. And we have a purpose. To proclaim God's excellencies. All the great things He has done. 
to worship Him and to glorify Him because He alone is worthy of our praise. He alone is God. Now, I look at that and I have to go back to one more difficulty in the process of this Him choosing us. There is a problem. He could not choose us. He could, call, he could not call us out of darkness into His light because He is holy and we have sinned. But before the foundation of the world, He took care of that too. You see, without taking care of the wages of sin, death, both physical and spiritual, are a mandate. And there's nothing that man has on this earth. Nothing that man has on this earth that he can bring before the altar of God to cover his own sins, let alone the sins of others. No matter how little, no matter how big, there is nothing you can bring to cover sin. It requires a sacrifice of life and it must be a perfect sacrifice. A holy sacrifice. A blameless sacrifice. And so before the foundation of the world as God has, has, has chosen us, He also chose to come. Well, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us to reveal the Father to us and then ultimately to be the perfect, blameless sacrifice. Jesus Christ on the cross. The one who John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 3.16 becomes a reality. God has chosen a a people for Himself and then has bought them. And that's where we're going to get into the words redeemed and, and, and a lot of other things as we look at this in order to have us as His family. The plan to include us in His family mandated that it include that He save us Himself. Perfect sacrifice. Payment for sin taken care of by death on the cross. As Christ said, it is finished. It was done. Something that all of us, like I said, there was not one of us that could bring anything that we could do to, to do this. I'm hoping that what you can see this morning as we start to identify ourselves uh, from, the, from the messages as Christians, that it's all in God. It's not because we, it's because He. From the very beginning, and even before the beginning. And somebody says at some point in time in eternity. No, it doesn't exist. Time doesn't exist there. It's just God always had this plan and always would have this plan and always did have this plan and it included us. To pull us out of the darkness and put us into the light. And as He did that, our eyes are open to the wonder of His Word and, the, and, the, and, and start to put it together in a way 
you know, and, and if you could have ever thought, you know, you could have approached me when I was 25 years old and said, Bob, you'll be standing 50 years from now or 25 years from now or 30 years from now in Fortuna, California in a pulpit preaching the word. All I would have been able to do is laugh at you. First, I wouldn't know what preaching the word, how you did it. But, 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 you know, and yet here it is. Why? Because before the foundation of the world, he chose. And he has called all of us with the purpose to glorify him. All of us with the purpose to glorify him. One of the ways we can glorify God is what we do with communion every Sunday. We remember the cross. We remember the, 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 the body of Christ through the bread on the cross. We remember the shedding of His blood by the cup on the cross. And we include within the framework of, of looking at this, the words, it is finished, it is done, it is complete. By what He did on the cross, it is finished. People sometimes say, why does your cross not have the, the body of Christ on it? I've had people ask me that who have come out of different church backgrounds. I said, because the cross is empty. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He died on the cross. But he was buried and he rose from the dead physically, bodily. I know what that means now. And showed that he had the authority to do all the things that he said he was going to do. The mansions in heaven. The wonderful places that he was going to put us in. And, and, and all that he had planned to share with us. So as we share in communion this morning, I'd ask that you would hold the emblem until we've all been served and we'll share it together and ask the ushers to come forward. And just keep this in mind. God did this because He loves us.